0: Today's Tennis Podcast, I'm Steve Smith, episode 177. Today we're going to talk about Czech tennis. Let me make a phone call to Europe, and I hope I can get through. Thomas Plakatka, I'm sure he pronounces his last name better than I do. Dialing once.
1: Hello, this is Thomas Plakatka speaking.
0: Tomas, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. thank you for uh, being a guest on our podcast. I told our listeners we're going to talk about Czech tennis. Let's get right into it. Uh, I know you're a Czech who moved to Denmark to play hockey. You're coaching tennis, had a chance to uh, coach your daughter. She came over to work with us several years ago. And I know you followed uh, our curriculum, told me you've listened to all these podcasts. You need to get a medal for that.
1: Um, and that is that is true. And uh, dear Mr. Steve Smith, what an honor for me to be on your podcast. And uh, hello to to you, uh, Ivan. I know that you are also listening and and uh, assisting Steve. I'm old ice hockey player who now really, uh, really uh, the, the the game of tennis I always loved, but uh, now I'm actively working on it. not on a professional level. I'm, I have a I have a job beside that, but uh, but but I, I like to work with young players, especially. And I'm, uh, I'm helping, uh, I'm helping as an assistant coach uh, Lorenzo Panaridis' uh, tennis program in, in a city called Odense in Denmark. And, and I've been, I've been doing this for, I don't know, since 2014, uh, coaching young tennis players in Denmark. And um, yes, so it's, it's where I started because of my daughters.
0: So Lorenzo introduced you to the great base. Uh, let's go, let's go back. Um, I was in Czechoslovakia the former Czechoslovakia, in 1987, went there to study tennis. Uh, What year were you born? I was born
1: in 72. 72?
0: 1972. With, uh... Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, as I mentioned, uh, born in 72 in in Czechoslovakia at that time. uh, Mother, father... uh, Older brother, young sister, family of five, and uh, grew up uh, grew up in a maybe 30 30 kilometers northwest from uh, from Prague, a city called Kladno. And between Kladno and Prague, there is an the airport. If you go to check and it's close uh, to the airport, and uh, I grew up there, and um, and uh, very soon I uh, I started to play ice hockey because. It, in the city where I, grew, where I grew up, there was a big steel ca- company or factory at that time and uh, nothing nothing much to do than didn't play ice hockey because uh, there was the biggest sport there. Everybody wanted to play. Um, so I was so lucky and skilled to get on a team um, and grew up there. And then when I was 18, I actually became a professional uh, in my in my town. Um, I, I, I was the kind of player who... who who needed to fight for the spot? I wasn't. I wasn't star player or something. But uh, but uh, I uh, I I could live uh, from ice hockey. um I know mean, five years in Czech Republic, I played different clubs in Prague and and And, and then I moved to Denmark. Uh, kind of searching for a new job when I was 23. And then the uh, the opportunity came. A uh, Coach uh, called uh, called a ring bell on my door and uh, and asked if I want to go to Denmark. I said, Why not? Uh, then I moved for one year and uh yeah, stayed forever. Got married, played uh, played professionally in check five years in Denmark ten years. Stopped, uh, stopped playing. Um started working for the medical company. Um yeah, got married, got three kids, and now I'm fifty one old and uh and uh but and and yeah, taking care of my job and my family and, 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 and giving a hand to to Lorenzo Paraniti with, Paraniti with, with tennis. And I, I so sh- should say hello from him to you guys uh, because uh, he's following your curriculum and uh, doing a great job in in our club. Actually, you you would be proud of him. I should say hello.
0: No, no, say hello likewise. Um, great guy, great passion for the sport. Um, but, yeah, certainly I would say it loud that tennis uh, needs more Lorenzo's. For sure. With yeah, I've been to Denmark as well several times, but only been. I was only in the Czech Republic once, uh, former Czechoslovakia. I mean, it comes up all the time. Uh, why do you think the Czechs do so well in tennis? Yeah.
1: That's a fantastic question, Steve. And um, well, maybe a couple of months ago, I. It was a break and I went. I, I just went for, for a short family vacation with my family to Czech Republic. And um, because of the tennis and my daughter was with me and I arranged a practice in Prague for her. And I, my mission was to, I, I, will, I need to ask, I need to I need to see what they are doing. I need to ask somebody who can answer this question because I didn't know, I, I don't know how to explain it. And then I talked to a couple of coaches there. Why is Czech tennis so successful? Um, and especially these days, man. We, we we talk to, to so many, so many women are actually really playing well on the, on, the, on the highest level. If you if you look at the top top hundred, I don't know how many do we have. Ten.
0: I think right now uh, you have three three women in the top ten, and you have nine in, top in the 10 top, top hundred. Country of t- country of yes, uh, basically ten million people.
1: Ten million people That's exactly. Um, and then the, you know, we know what the answer was from him. I, I cannot answer, but, uh, but I, I asked him and he said, um, he said that in Czech, we have a, we have a great, uh, system of tournaments and competition And we have also centers where we, uh, gather the talented players and give them the opportunity to grow. So they collect. They go, they, they kind of scout the, the market or scout, scout the players. And if there is somebody who actually has a the potential, they then ask him, come and join our training program. That's one thing. And then then uh, then, the, then the competition, tournaments. So they are they are practicing and they are playing. Every weekend possibility to go and play. And, and we don't talk American distances. So they can go, I don't know, 30 minutes drive and they are at the tournament and they get a couple of matches. So this combination of, of, of systematic, uh, uh, coaching, training, under under skillful supervision, combined with with uh, the tournament, that was the answer. And I I, I believe so. But you know, I asked him also. But what do you think of this? Uh, I know Steve that you have the you are you are preaching this that young players shouldn't play in matches before they are actually ready to do it. And I, I to some extent I agree. You need to have the. You need to know how to hit the ball. Uh, because when you play a match and you're stressed then you don't you don't develop the strokes. But he says, Yeah, that's also correct. But they then they will go back on the practice and they adjust a bit. So they play a match get something worse and then adjust a bit. So they they grew it, they uh, they grew it together. They play matches and practice. Yeah, do you do you understand what I'm saying?
0: No, no, for sure. Uh, with the idea of uh, playing three thousand hours, you know, was roughly three hours a day mm-hmm. That's 1,000 hours a year. If someone were to play three years, um, adds up to 3,000 hours before they compete. Now, governing body of tennis in the U.S. has had a theme for a long time. It's not learn to play. It's play to learn. I think I, I do agree with the sandwich effect. You have to have the, the top and the bottom work both ways. But I, I think um, there's many, many factors for Czech tennis. As you mentioned, competition. We could talk more about that. That's key. Um appreciating, appreciating uh, developing the fundamentals. But let me go back. You're born in seventy-two and um you know, actually um the Czech Republic is considered um to be Eastern Europe, but it's really Central Europe. But also during uh, yeah. the USSR during the Soviet regime, um you know, tennis stood tall and, and uh, not only uh The former Czechoslovakia, but uh, the former Yugoslavia, um, with the famous player Jan Kodesh Nastasi, who Kodesh beat him in the the French final one year, and he used to tease and used to call him the Russian. But I think that the Czechs uh, did a very good job um, making tennis relevant during the uh, the Soviet USSR control you know, here in the U.S., we use the term iron curtain in puppet nations, that tennis was not an Olympic sport. So tennis was really suppressed by the Soviets. But the Czech people uh, stood strong as far as tennis was concerned. So I think tradition has a great deal to do with uh, the success of Czech tennis.
1: Exactly. That was just I was about to say. You know, system and tournaments, they, they don't come from out of nothing. So this historical background all these players, all the knowledge about the sport is there. So you have a lot of players, you have a lot of coaches who have the knowledge, and and it, it, and, the, and the history, as you are saying, is there. And history of tennis. People play tennis. People love to play, uh, and and I can see it every time I'm I'm on vacation in 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 Czech, and I wanna I want to book a co- tennis court and go and play. It's occupied. I need to book it one one week ahead or something uh, because because people want to play and all the, uh, the culture for the sport is there. In Denmark, I can get a court in 30 minutes if I want you know, it's, it's, it's people play in you know, handball and badminton and football,
0: soccer. So it's definitely culture has something to do with it. No doubt. Oh, no, no, for sure. The, uh, just the word sport, you know, there's no, I don't think there's any perfect form of government. Um, Capitalism. I mean, it, it's really becoming more and more of a money grab here in the U.S. And the word "sport" is like, well, the, it's it's really a business. Um, so, I think that's a, a key factor as well. Is it in, in your in your native homeland, tennis was kept a sport. It wasn't really made a business. Do you agree with that? I
1: completely agree, and 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 it, it's still there. Of course, of course, the business, the tennis business is all over the all over the places. But the love for, for tennis, the historical background, the culture is kind of continuing. And I, uh, the example from a real life: the other day, I had a friend from Czech visiting me, and you know, he's a previous, uh, ice hockey player. he's stopped playing he a junior. Then he, he, he worked as an engineer. He was a really smart guy. But he, but today he came. He brought his tennis racket with him and uh, and went for a tennis match. So he could, he was able to play a tennis match. And uh, he was not a tennis player, but still, he liked to play An ordinary people. They go and play tennis.
0: Um, let me, uh, just then, let me read this yeah. about uh, Drobny. I have some notes here. Uh, he played Wimbledon for the first time in 1938, 16 year, years later, he won Wimbledon 1954, um, he beat rosewall rosewall was a 19 year old teenager. A side note is rosewall 20 years later was in the final. But he had already defected and he was playing under the Egyptian flag when he won Wimbledon. But people uh, give Drobny credit for carrying the torch, but here's something that we could talk about. And it's amazing how many of the Czech players, when you do your homework, um, the parents, of the family, um, they were brought up as athletes because simply they were brought up by athletes. Uh but Drobny in nineteen forty eight, he was a silver a silver medalist in the Olympics playing ice hockey. He actually turned down the Boston Bruins in nineteen forty nine, yes. just researching this. He was gonna be paid twenty thousand dollars. So at that time it was a lot of money. He would have been the first uh European NHLer. Uh so again, he guys kind of ends up being a Wimbledon champion. So but in nineteen forty seven the world championship when the Czechs won. Um, in seven games he scored fifteen goals there's a book I would love to read. In fact, you have to ask, probably have to ask what, what language is written. And I'm going to guess it was written in England, English, because he, he eventually, uh, he lived the latter part of his life in England, but um, the book is called the champion in in exile. But he won the French twice. Uh, He won doubles with uh, Bjorn Borg's coach, Leonard Berglund. Um, And then he was the, uh, he also won the French mix, but, be an Olympic hockey player, a medalist, and then win the Wimbledon title. He was number one in the world in 1954. And yeah, I've always been, his name always comes up even before uh, the next person I've written down is Jan Kodish. Um, Any thoughts on, uh, on Drobny, but also too, let's just talk about how the sport of ice hockey challenges someone to be an athlete. Yeah, but this is
1: an amazing research you did. Because when you mentioned Drobny, for me, I see tennis player. I didn't even know that he was a hockey player, too, yeah, because he's older. I was born in 72, so Drobny was uh, done with his uh, career when I was born and where I kind of learned the players. Um, but this is amazing research you did. I didn't even know. When as, as I said, when you say Drobny, I, I think tennis. I didn't know. But, I, but the, co- the connection tennis and ice hockey in Czech is strong, as I, as I, as I wrote you. And, um
0: yeah with uh, I know from
1: and I, I know from my life that I grew up, I grew up, and we were I was really spending a lot of hours on ice hockey, practicing, struggling but but we played tennis in the summertime when the season was over in March and in, the, in April, approximately, and at that time the season was shorter, and it also started later. It started in August, something, and then they melted the ice for four months, and then, and then, then, then today they, you, today you have ice uh, for the twelve months a year. Some some places it wasn't that when I was playing. So, so when the season was over, we got maybe two weeks off, and then summer practice started with uh, with uh, lifting weights and biking and soccer play and everything, but, but tennis was on the schedule too. So I remember twice a week in the morning, it was Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 11, there was on, 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 our, on our training schedule, there was a tennis match. And um, we were skillful and able uh, to pick up the balls and a racket and go to tennis court close to hockey uh, to ring and, uh, and play, and play rally and play matches. And when we get back, we were so tired because we really fight for the victory and all the all those runs to to the side and back and forth. It was really great practice for us, high players. So we're, that's why the coaches they knew it then. Yeah.
0: I, I tease people. I tease people, say, you know if you have to put a helmet on, that means something bad can happen. Where obviously you don't have to put a helmet on when you're playing tennis. But actually with your hands, um, you know, it's like if you put somebody on a pair of skates or a pair of skis, every impulse, you know, they can, they have the young kids learning, developing athletic skills, they could fall. So they it really balance, I think, of uh, this young kid, Yannick Center, who was a, a, a champion skier at the age of 12, or obviously Fetter growing up in Switzerland, or Djokovic growing up, where his parents had a, they ran a restaurant at the bottom of a ski hill. But no, hockey then always it also challenges you with your hands. You know, like say soccer, for example, it's more just with your feet. And I mean basketball in this country around the world is with your hands and your feet. But there's something too about collision where you gotta keep your head up and and becoming tough through uh, physical contact. Um, you know, I think of uh Lova when you think about playing multiple sports. I'll go through some notes on her. But next, after uh, Drobny. Uh, is Jan Kodish. He won Wimbledon in 73, but there was a boycott in 1973. Nikki Pilich from the former Yugoslavia, interesting guy. He's been a Davis cup captain of three different countries, Germany, Croatia, and Serbia. And um, for personal reasons, you know, it had to do with um, obviously time and money. He um, refused to play Davis cup. He declined is a better word. And then at Wimbledon, he was refused he was declined or he he couldn't play so the atp pros they boycotted and he beat alex metro from georgia the country georgia um but also just because it was a boycott year you can't really just go by an asterisk next to it even though the at pro, atp pros didn't play because yoda went on to um he won the french in 1771 but he also—that's not obviously Red Clay, but the grass at Wimbledon, at the grass at the U.S. Open. He was a finalist in '71 when there was no boycott. '73 again, no boycott against respectfully Stan Smith and and John Newcomb. Coaches was ranked five in the world. Um, you ne- this is interesting too. Tennis history is so complex, but he never played Australia. Um, I think f- for a small country like. Um, Czechoslovakia, after Drobny, then to have a Wimbledon champion. um, Do the the Czechs um, obviously find pride in having the Czechs, fellow Czechs do well, correct?
1: It's amazing. Jan Kodesh, as you mentioned, he's one of them. And uh, I was actually inspired by your podcast. I bought a book, uh, uh, Rough Labor, you know, in his book is he's, he's, um, about world labor and he's describing this uh, this Wimbledon when Jan Kodesh is on all, all the history of professionals and not being able to play grand slams and how they travel, it, it's in there. So, uh, um, but Jan Kodesh and Jan Kodesh. Okay. He, 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 again, he played when I was really young. Well, when I was a boy, he, he was on TV and we watched Kodesh. And we watched Lendl was the, the upcoming star. Ivan Lendl, young man. Uh, and they were playing playing together. La- later on, I also want to mention uh, Pavlos Um Pavel Ložel, another legendary player. And a later, later coach of Steffi Graf. Um, I did some research also.
0: No, that's another thing to touch upon is the coaching, obviously. uh, I think the first thing you mentioned was the competition. Uh, I mentioned Dave Fish's name quite often. He's been a guest on our podcast, and he was a longtime coach. He's now retired at Harvard. And, you know, he's always said that the two things that really need to improve are competition and coaching. And I think it's much easier to regulate competition. Um, with, but Kodish, I mean, back to him before you, he, he was on the scene a little bit before Jimmy Connors and he was re, people used to refer to Kodish as having the best return of serve. Um, you know, then Connors came up with a two-hander and excuse me, then it was Agassi and, and Djokovic, those names are always come up with a return of serve. What's amazing though, is on YouTube, you know, you can watch the Kodish Metrovelli Wimbledon final. This is amazing what you can look at on YouTube, but back in the day when the grass was the way it was, um, players, you know, would rain and by the second week they're wearing spikes and you know, the wooden rackets as well, and that the ball would stay so low, low, lower than now, I think that the people would agree right across the board that, you know, people are using the same tactics on all, at all four majors. But to go from, uh, you know, doing well at the French, then back in the day where you just had a short period of time to adjust to the graphs. But Kodesh, you know, you think back about imagery, you know, you can act to me, you can actually see so much of uh, Martina Naratalova's game within Kodesh's game. Now, Lendl came along and he was more of a power, power baseliner. Um, But with Naratalova, um, her mother was a gymnast, mother was a tennis player as well. The mother became a ski instructor. Her grandmother, um, was number two, just like Lendl's mother it was, it was mother was the number two, uh, player and, Czech player. Um, let me say say a few things about Narantilova. Uh, number one uh, only Steffi Graf was l- number one for a longer period of time. Eighteen singles majors, thirty-one doubles, ten mixed, total of fifty-nine. Won nine Wimbledon's, and I saw these in the notes they sent me. We can we can talk about this. Uh, the one-handed underspin backhand approach shot—why is it a lost art? But she won the the, end, the tour eight WT uh, tour end championships, year-end championships thirteen times. Uh, like so many great champions, she lived on a backboard. Uh, 177 doubles titles, hard to believe. Um, even though she had a, the opportunity to play so much on red clay, she was 3-11 against Everett on clay, but 10-5 on grass. 14-8 in majors, 10-4 in major finals. Of the total matches, she won 43, Everett won 37. Um I say this often about Nratilova was an insult to women's tennis that she was a month shy of being 15 when she won an, her last major with Bob Bryan playing mixed at the 2006 US Open. Um, Thank you. But yeah, Nratilova her, her game is was so complete. You know, you could say, well, she wasn't, you know, as strong as say uh, a Serena Williams with a serve or Serena's forehand um was, uh, not, not quite on a full Eastern. Steffi Graf came along, and, it, and she simply had a better forehand. Um, you know, like Billie Jean King before Novak Lova, You know the grip determines the angle of the racket face, and if that racket face is slightly open, you can't use gravity and just let the racket free fall. Um, so she was a great athlete. She played all these sports. She played hot pickup hockey growing up. And then actually the person who really helped her out and she really brought fitness. Even before Lendl and uh, brought fitness to the forefront, Chrissy Everett once said, I'd like to thank Martina for making me an athlete, but American basketball player, Nancy Lieberman started coaching uh, Martina. But I think that ties in with a tradition, uh, Czech tennis. Uh, what comes to your mind? You heard me say that on the podcast before is, you know, she won Martina, nine, I she won nine Wimbledon titles. And it's very difficult for a tennis group to name nine players that have hit that shot since she retired. And why do you and think that? Has why do you think has that has shots disappeared?
1: disappeared? I, I I think I think what I see around me. That of course, it disappears if you don't if you don't practice it. You don't you don't know it exists. And the, and and the, I can I can ask myself. Okay, if you have a champion like Martina Abratsula, and she's a she's a great great champion. She has won so many tournaments, nine and titles. So you can you can find it, you can read it. But if you ask if you ask the young generation of tennis players, tennis players, do you know Martina Navratilova? You know, in my club, I don't think there is, if, if there is if there is one who would knew that I would be surprised. <clears throat> I don't think so. They know her. I don't think so, and that's a shame.
0: Yeah, no. I... How
1: can how can such a, such a great champion be forgotten? She won nine, nine big living
0: With, uh um, um, no, we always use an Einstein quote. If you don't know the history of your subject, you don't know your subject with, um, but I, I, think having appreciation for the players of the past. And I, I think that, you know, we even now have a better idea how the brain works. And yeah, as I said earlier, you can, um, and that all court game of a codish being able to serve and volley on the the slick grass, the low bouncing ball, and then being able to win on clay. Um, you know, back in the day though, um, there was a big emphasis on doubles. You know, when, you know, granted the, the hard courts and mm-hmm. a lot of pounding, but at the majors, shout out to Buffalo, New York, uh, as Jessica Pagula playing all three events, and there's a few others, uh, but most tennis players just specialize. There's so much money in the game now um, that the top players don't play doubles.
1: And this, this is, I, just see. I, I did some research on Pavel Slojil. and I'm just in and his partner, Renata Tomanova, also from Czechoslovakia, won the 1978 French Open Mixed Double Championship, defeating Virginia Ruzicki from Romania and Patrice S from France. The Mixed Double Championship was an important event in those days, uh, contested by top players with John McEnroe and Mary Carrillo having won the year before. So that's also the reason. Uh, Earlier, John McEnroe, he played Mixed doubles.
0: Yeah, so, no, one of our students, uh, awesome. actually one of our students, Austin Krejcik, he played He's played mixed several times with uh, Pagula last year. I think it was they. they yeah, they reached the finals. Ninety-nine percent, maybe it was some. ninety-nine percent? They reached the finals, but the distribution of wealth. I mean, the money that's paid for people who win singles, um, and the money that's paid for doubles. I know there's generally many conversations on you know the men and women and equal prize money. And I, I think it stops there. I think, unfortunately, there should, should be more money paid out to the people playing doubles. Um, you know, even to have a bo- bonus pool, is, to me, a complete player is someone who can play singles and doubles. In this country, And we, I think we're, uh, we're privileged to have so many foreign players come over to, to you know, improve the level playing college tennis. And college tennis starts with doubles. They've certainly the leaders have made some mistakes, and they've shortened the score to six. If you can believe that pro set to six, I mean it's not divisible, divisible by four. Um, but they, it, it still starts with doubles. And you know, besides uh, the underspin backhand approach shot being a lost art, serving volleying in doubles, serving volleying in singles become a lost art. Let, let me digress with, with the underspin backhand approach shot. Players play it, it's the trajectory of the ball that keeps the ball low. So, if the ball comes in with the same trajectory, topspin versus underspin, it's a trick question. What bounces higher, topspin or underspin? All the kids will say topspin. It depends on the incoming trajectory. So, if someone skyrockets the skyscraper, the high defensive lob. That ball, if you let it bounce, that's going to bounce the highest. But you take speed off the shot while, you know, while the ball's in flight, the player's in movement to the net. So you get closer in, the ball is lower, but also when you take speed off the shot, your opponent gets approximately fifty percent of their pace from your pace. Um, with uh, so players are not playing that shot. It, just just yesterday we had a set played between two players. They said, okay, just serve the serve the ball underhand to the to the uh, they're both right handers. Serve to the one handed backhand, play an approach shot and play it out. Just play it as a set. We just call it situational play but the serve and volley if players don't serve and volley. So I, I think um, the emphasis on winning, uh, but let me go back to perspective. And um, I was told just the other day, the La Patisse means the little ones, the upcoming tournament in, in Paris for 14, or I should say in France for 14 year olds. Um, is there a mentality that's different within the Czech culture, the Czech communities that uh, people have more long-term vision and they're not so, uh, stressed out on who's going to win the two inch trophy?
1: Mm. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say so, but, uh, you no, know, I've also now lived uh, 28 years for, away from Czech Republic. So I can, I can, you know, relate to what I experienced and of course I have a connection, but I think there's a much difference between, between, uh, between Czech Republic and the other European countries. I think it's, it's, it's the same. Like any kind of mentality in the Western,
0: Western part of the world, um, it would be interesting to know but, that, uh, but, like, so you're you're in Denmark. Um, you, hmm. do the Czech players know? Do the Czech players know the, like the history of Ivan Lendl? Yeah, they
1: would know Ivan. They were not Ivan Lendl in in Czech. Yeah, I'm
0: um, sure. I've got what I've got down here. He was number one for 270 weeks, eight majors, eleven finals. Uh, he was the first to reach 19 finals. Now, that, that record's been surpassed now. He's still the only only man to have won over 90% of his matches for a five-year period. Um, his rivals, Connors and McEnroe. Of course, you know, you have to think about, you know, he was dominating Connors when Connors was older, but nevertheless, he was 21-15 record against Connors, 7-3 in Majors. Twenty-two, thirteen against McEnroe, four-three in majors. I remember uh, Bill Jacobson, who was one of our pillars, uh, statistical analysis uh, that Lendl's numbers proved that he was really, really good at the net, but he was just so stubborn that he, you know, he stayed back. He, you know, wasn't really listening to the numbers, but just stayed back and, um, you know some people give him credit for the person who could really just drive both forehands and backhands big. Um, but he's a, he's a hockey lover. Um, there's a funny story on one of our podcasts with, uh, Bud Schultz, he used to practice with, with Lendl and uh, Lendl had organized this, uh, uh, street hockey game, ball hockey on, on this tennis court in his backyard. Um, but Lendl with fitness, I know, uh, Robbie Seguzzo, personally, and then I remember running a coach's workshop with a real quiet guy, unassuming guy, Lawson Duncan from Western North Carolina, out in the Asheville area. And it was a rainy day and small group. And I said, Lawson, I understand that you used to practice with Lendl, and he's a really quiet guy. And some people came up to me afterwards and said, Lawson Duncan talked for an hour about practicing against Lendl. And he said that, you know, we haven't heard him talk for you know that length of that length of time. People uh, that study the game know that when young Pete Sampras went and stayed with Lendl in Connecticut, where he's living, that it really um made a big impact on how um Sampras approached his professional career. Let's touch a little bit about coaching. Uh, you mentioned Slazl, who coached uh, Pablo Slazl, who coached Steffi Graf for a long, long time. Uh, down here with I Lendl, think. with Murray. Um, you know, Murray won Wimbledon twice, U.S. Open once. He was number one in the world, and that was with he when he was with Lendl. Um, you know, growing up in, in say Eastern Europe, and now being you know in the Scandinavian country, Denmark. Um, how about the philosophy of coaching? I mean, the times have changed. I like yeah. the I like the expression that um, a kid hasn't changed, but the times have. Um, what um, about uh, sport? Uh, sport? Know, go ahead. Sport in Denmark and sport in uh, the former Czechoslovakia. Yeah.
1: And 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 the coaching and with my background coming from coming from Czech Republic and we played ice hockey in the in, uh, in eighties. And there was, I don't know, 20, 30 players for one spot. If you didn't show up, if you didn't show the, the interest, then you were just out. And and uh, and the, you couldn't come back. So you, this kind of attitude, uh, I, I don't see anymore in in the, in in the Western part of the world. You know, in, general, in general. And I don't think it's, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's just how it was. <laughs> And I'm, I'm comparing, and, and I know what we did, and I I, I see what, what the players are doing now. Um, the commitment for, for the sport. to do something, do it with 120%. There. Do you want to play or not? Do you want to be here or not? Why are you here? Is it your mother t- t- telling you to come to practice? Um, but, uh, you know, you need to adjust to the, 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 the environment that you live in. And you... Uh, you asked me uh, to do some research on Adolf Granovsky, and I know that you, you will come back to it. But just let me let me read this for you. Okay. Uh, Adolf Granovsky. Adolf Granovsky was uh, was uh, was working in Switzerland, and uh, and and he was known as a tough coach in Switzerland. And he, then he said, and I'm 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 a, uh, citate from from him, I like players with talent, but players who also like to sweat. In the beginning they were no used to it. I came with Eastern European mentality. I wanted to send them to Wimbledon, all of them. I wanted to learn them to play. Parents were coming to me asking why I am so hard on the kids. As time went, I adopted and became more soft. You know, as time went, I adopted and became more soft. And that's just how am I in, in Denmark right now. I, I'm more soft and I, I became adopted. Yeah, they do get the point. But oh I mean you know, yeah,
0: for sure. I'm glad you've read that. With yeah, I have students come and visit. We used to always say, "All right, one and one." You know, picking up balls. Put one ball in your left hand, one ball in your right hand. The next thing you know, we were saying two and two, and now we say three and three. And I tease and go, "Next time you come and visit, we'll just have the kids sit down. We'll pick the balls up for them." Um, we just did, we did have this young coach here from Lithu- Lithuania. Actually, he's uh, coming back here in another in a week's time, but if he said it more he said it more than once, we have kids jog backwards when they go three and three. Because I love it. I'm gonna have kids do this. But uh, with uh Adolf Kovoski, I think the nickname was Seppli. I'm mispronouncing two of the three names anyway. But yeah, it's a famous yeah. uh famous quote from Lynette Fetter, you know, she was she was a volunteer, a volunteer tennis coach. She started playing tennis, I believe it you know, age eight, and eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and became a respectable amateur player. And they said, "Why didn't you coach your son?" And she said, "I was a volunteer as a coach. I was incompetent. I was just trying to help out any way, any way I could." And so, Federer's first coach was this Czech, um, who found his way to Switzerland, and now he's he's still alive, and he's he's back back in the Czech Republic. You think he would be interviewed all the time by people like you know, what did Roger? do when he was a young kid i I did read one time where he said he was the type of kid where you'd show him once and he you know pretty much could you know just you know just like one try and he had a pretty good handle on uh, conquering the skill very quickly with um the the checks obviously they didn't want to be under russian control but at that time um you know it's you know, certainly times have changed. The, the, you know, the the Czechs have done very well as far as the Eastern Bloc, as far as uh, their economy in comparison to others. But it, I've heard it. I heard it said for so many years that here in the West, in Denmark, that would be considered West, obviously U.S. West, is we would cater to the wealthy. Where um, when you grew up. You could comment on that if you would, please. Is that uh, the, the sport system catered to the talented? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, there, there, there's definitely something about it. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, and then I don't. I don't. you're mentioning. You asked me to do some research. He's an example. He's an example of a of a tennis player from Czech Republic then he moved and he had some job in, in, in Africa in 1968 and then Soviet occupied Czech and then um, he realized he didn't want to stay and in Africa he met a club member from Old Boys Club in Basile mm-hmm. who desperately needed a coach and then, then he that, that's how he got to, to Switzerland and, and he worked with, with Roger Federer as his first coach as we know and then um, they gave him a nickname, Stefli, in, uh, in Switzerland because Adolf wasn't fashionable at that time. Yeah. Right. You know the reason.
0: Yeah, in Germany, uh, it's against the law. Maybe I, th- I would think it still is um, to have your child named Adolf. One thing with uh, Kowalski, um, and again, I'm mispronouncing his name, but I think one thing that's really happened is static balance is kids standing in one place. And that's a repeat as well as Lynette Fetter said, Roger Fetter, about her son. His lessons were when he was eight years old, you know, one hour standing in one place on balance with long follow-throughs. And it didn't happen by accident that, you know, he was he was taught so well. Um, here's another player from the Czech Republic, and this ties in with... Uh, the Olympics and long-term development Yana Novotna who unfortunately passed away at 49 she won uh, five mixed 12 doubles these are all majors she won Wimbledon and that was you know it was I think it was really unfortunate that people were saying Yana no shot because she was up 4-1 in the third and then I think yeah that was 93 and then five years later she came back and she the expression got the monkey off her back because she won Wimbledon but she she was really in control in 93, but she, I think she was five, eight, but uh, her mother used to take her to, uh, her gymnastic class. And as the story goes, her father, who was quite tall, there was one day where she was very young. she took, um, um, the father took the daughter, Yana to gymnastics and they saw the heights of the father and they said, you have to change sports. And that, that makes me ask, um, growing up in, in the Czech system, it was such an honor, to, and I think it is in any country, but to play, not only represent your country, play for your flag, but to play in the Olympics. What's, what's your comment on that?
1: Don't, don't you, uh, please repeat uh, the question. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, as far as... Uh, um, you know, for the longest time in this country, and I know I heard Brad Gilbert say the other day on a podcast, you know, they say, hey, what was your greatest moment in tennis? And he said, hey, you know, you know, walking to the Olympic Stadium, we're in the USA on his back. Um, but so when a young Nevatno was, you know, they saw that she was too tall and said, hey, you don't need to be a gymnast, find another sport that was because, you know, if you're going to have the opportunity to, uh, move up the ladder and that the system where athletes would be cut off in the Western societies where you, you could stay in the sport because your parents were affluent, but in the, uh, Soviet occupied countries like, like Czechoslovakia, that, um, that would be the reason they say, okay, she's she's not going to be able to represent Czechoslovakia as a gymnast. She's going to be too big. So my my question is, do you remember that as a child? It was such a was it a really big deal to play on the Olympic team?
1: Well, it, it was it was a big deal to play, qualify for the Olympics and uh, represent the country, play for the national team. Definitely, definitely. what what, what I what I remember from. My childhood, uh, you know, the, the classes, what is it called? The sport classes, it's cool. The gymnastics, athletics, we did it all. It was systematic. We were, we, we, we were tested. It, it, it's, not, it's not taking place anymore at school. Um, but I'm so grateful today that we actually did it. They forced us to do it. They forced us to, to gain some abilities. Run. We were running 100 meters, jumping, jump, high jump, run 1500 meters. Uh, all the all the disciplines we we, we needed to to do on, on a certain level. Um, gymnastics too. Uh, all those uh, basic gymnastics uh, instruments we need to we need to master. And it it is education for life.
0: Yeah, body and, and, and now I I I yeah. had
1: three girls then and, they, and, and I, now I now I can see you know they are they are old now but I don't know 10 five years ago I saw what they were doing uh, its it's not the same anymore they don't they don't they don't know the the, the, the the basics the basics movements they they are not able to do it and then, then you get then you um you have some some um, young players uh, coming to, to your a practice and, and they want to play tennis and they aren't are not, not developed
0: so it is difficult i like how um, you said, so like how you said i'm sorry i like how you said basic uh, movements you know we have we told people through our podcast to go to youtube and look up jfk or former president john Fitzgerald kennedy fitness and then what people people had to do in the 60s and yeah they were measured it was It's like you know how many how many you know, sit-ups can you do in one minute? How many push-ups can you do in one minute? And nationwide, that was a language among kids. There was a squat thrust, and then there was an agility drill with crossing lines like the spider drill or hexagon. And um, yeah, I mean, now, I mean, it's, you sound like, you know, we all sound like we're doom and gloom, but here in this country, I mean, a lot of young kids, they can't do one quality push-up. It's really sad. Um, Let me come back to one point. When I I grew up 10 miles from the Canadian border, 10, 12 miles, and back in the day, it was just a closed fraternity. The NHL was just for Canadians. And say a really good hockey player from Canada, if they came to the U.S. to play college hockey, they were were just off the list. They were not even considered. Uh, I mean, we're talking one, two exceptions. Um, So an American kid back in the day, we used to have the mentality that, Oh, we want to play in the Olympics because there's no way we're going to play in the NHL. We just—it was just something that was not available to Americans back in the day. So it's really interesting how, how people um, how, how people think. Um, and I would just think, coming back to whether it's, um, um the the all court skills that she possessed to, to have someone like Jan Kodish and just. Um, you know, to, to, appreciate the history of the sport and watch these, you know, watch someone like that who can serve and go to the net. Um, and I think it's just baffling in more current times, for example, the Bryan brothers who, you know, just if they won more doubles titles than anyone and people, for the most part, they're playing one up one back, you know, you watch, how, how's it go? Uh, you know, you, you go with the best and forget the rest. I'm um, coming back to Novak one hand, backhand. Or we talk about Sampras all the time. You know, he was serving volley, but because you know people couldn't win in the ten and under serving volley, you know he really he didn't have didn't have that much of an impact on the game. Where it's it's just amazing that's gone away. Let me ask you this: So when you say systematic, um, in you know, I know a couple of leaders with the USTA have told me there's no way that the USTA would have a system. Now, the great base curriculum is a system of systems. Um, how would you define that? What comes to your mind when you think back as a kid it was systematic?
1: There was a, there was a curriculum at school, school. school year started, and there, there was a pencil, what, what you are supposed to uh, go through, through the year. Put on paper, you could see it. Gymnastics, athletics, this, 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 training, and then we go. We have a plan. We know what to do in May. We don't know what to do in July, and so on. And uh, after the year, we went through the disciplines, all the disciplines, and, and that's how it was. I, I know that there is a discussion at the the the, the 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 communist system, Soviet Union system. That was a, you know everything is bad, but there are bad things, and there are good things. And right. one of the good things that I see was the systematic things about doing things, and and this this athleticism at school is such an example. Um, today today, today I I have some abilities. I'm 51, and uh, I'm showing young people how to move, how to do a uh, simple gymnastic stuff, because I learned it when I was when I was young. What you learn when you are young, you will never forget. Um, and I, once again, I'm not an old time, uh, old man. That's not really true. But, uh, but, this, uh, I, I believe in systems and I believe in, in putting effort into, uh, into what you are doing. And that's, that's how I feel the great base also works. And it's also how you think. Um, and, and, and that, that's why it just grabbed me so much, uh, and helped me, uh, help me, uh, coach. Young tennis players, because I don't have this tennis education. Now I, I, I took some courses, and I'm the Danish Danish uh, Tennis Federation two courses. And I'm I'm actually finishing now a great base um, the tennis intelligence supply course. I need a couple of videos more, and then uh, I hopefully I will make the exam. And that's also kind of systematic. You need to go through the stuff, get some knowledge, go out on the court, test it. And get the experience. And I will will not become a good coach after one year. You need to do it for 10, 20, 30 years. You have done it for 50 years. This this, this why you know what you are talking about and you have the experience. And and this is not a new thing that young children, if you you make them to do stuff, they will learn it for their life. If you don't, if you tell them, do it only if it's funny, then they will not do it and they will not learn it. So it's not a bad thing to, to say to a group of young people, you need to do this. This is the curriculum, we do it. And that's uh, how I grew up and uh, how I think. But uh, sometimes I feel in, in the Western world, when I introduce a philosophy like that, they will think, oh, he is the he is the old, uh, old-time school teacher. This is not how it works today. So this conflict sometimes I, I'm, I'm dealing with, but... Um, but I'm also open for, for for the new stuff, and new 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 how new new ways of learning. But uh, you know, this, this is sometimes this is that dilemma.
0: Thomas, that makes me think of uh, phys ed classes, PE classes, and I understand of our 50 states in the U.S. Um, it's pretty bleak how uh, PE classes, the structure has just has just been changed. I I know I've written uh, many letters, and and because of that letters okay this kid is in a program he's ranked in his section or he's ranked in in the nation and now with um non-traditional scheduling homeschool if you will the kids can opt out of a p class but i think it's so good i you know we, we get a six-week unit on wrestling a six-week unit on gymnastics um with yeah, that, that's gone away. Uh, I think the exposure to other sports um, with I, before coming up here to the mountains in Wintergreen, Virginia, um, I was in Florida. A young guy taught to play and teach. He has his own business now. He's been on our podcast, Brandon Flanagan. And he has multiple sites. I know he just added two more. But one was a private school and during their christmas break and their spring break they had camps and i had five beautiful tennis courts and we're using the tennis courts and the children during the camp they never went outside they're just playing electronic you know electronic toys gadgets and you know that's where i feel like i'm qualified to the positions don't exist here in the U S but elementary schools need athletic directors and kids need to be, you know, taught running alignment and just how to do basic exercises and, you know, can they throw and can they catch and can they kick a ball? And, um, yeah, that, that's really, that's really gone away. The exposure to that.
1: Uh, but, uh, actually, but we, we were lucky. Those so these, these electronic gadgets, uh, they didn't exist at my time. Um, and, and we, did, we couldn't we didn't we didn't have to worry about it but today today's kids you know they are they are actually yeah they're not very lucky regarding this it's there it's taking time from us also what else it's not only the children taking time from everybody We need to think how to use it and uh, hopefully hopefully we can teach them how they will, they will learn how to do it yeah. And uh, you know another I'm understand approach our people uh, you you can be proud of uh, you can be proud of Lorenzo Pannaliti, and uh, he is actually working in our club on on getting to the net. Um, so I hopefully there are some clubs who, who are actively working with it. Um, so we will we will um, gain this ability to to play at the net and get to the net and know when to do it and and what what is the strength of the play. It will not be forgotten.
0: No no I appreciate Be Proud hearing. of Florence. <laughs> no I appreciate hearing that with um all the guests that we've had ho- hopefully we're reinfer- reinforcing the same message we're reinforcing fundamentals uh Joel Trucker um I think what he said about you know, if a kids kids starts going to the net at 15 it's it's too late. He said so many great things. He said if um start going to the net at 15, it's going to be like learning a third language. He also said that your your directory, your the directory of the club with all the names and telephone numbers, that's your junior program. Just call people up and say, let's play. With Let me go back to 1987 um, with uh, talking a little bit more about another great Czech player, Hall of Famer, Helena Sokova. She won uh, 14 majors, nine in doubles, five in mixed doubles. She was in the finals of four four majors. Like her father, she became president of the Czech Tennis Federation. She um, later in life got a PhD in psychology. You know, it's just amazing, you know, just rattling off like rankings and how many majors, but you think about medals in the Olympics or like she won the Hopman Cup, she won the, the Fed Cup four times. Um, her mother, Vera, she... Uh, uh, she coached the Czech team, so the history um, in 1975. She, so Elena Sukova's mother was in the Wimbledon final, singles final. She was number five in the world. She ended up with one major. She coached Ratilova, Um with. So when I was there in 1987 to study tennis, I was assigned to one coach, and unfortunately I should be able to just rattle off the name of the coach, but um, her brother, um, how would you pronounce uh, it? It's Cyril C-Y-R-I-L Cyril Souk. Yeah. So he was 12 years old. And at that time, every national coach only had six students. They could be at any, of any age, any gender, any level of play. And they really, they work privately with those six students. Now, sometimes you know, just a sh- short time I was there, a couple of weeks, where they could, um, you know, do some things together as a group. But the kids would show up, and they would be getting all the equipment out. And then if something is just it's very unusual um, in the States. Here at Wintergreen, when people are done playing, the tennis director, Steve Campbell, has asked the people to sweep the courts when they're done. But generally, around the United States, when you're done playing on a clay court, you know, the people who played on the clay court, they don't sweep the court. Um, at that time, the national coach, if they were to sell a racket on the black market, uh, they'd make like $300, which was more than their monthly salary. And at that time, when I was over there in 87, it be, um, the the taxi cabs were the banks. You know, I mean, I remember I took, um, I was advised uh, by my older brother, who had a lot to do with ice hockey is so I took all sorts of tennis balls, you know, they had cans of tennis balls to give people for, for helping out because it was so expensive to buy tennis balls. Uh, in uh, 87, that was the year they first opened the new facility in Prague. Um, at the Sparta club, you know, there was a backboard that everyone hit against. And then there was one court that had, um, it had a mini court in the middle. You know, your regulation seventy two hundred square feet. It had a tennis court in the middle, a mini tennis court. And then it had a backboard on each end, so there was really three backboards. And there was only one indoor court, and that one indoor court was cinder block, and it was just a white line, you know, on the the four walls, and then the players could only hit against the backboard during the uh, during the winters, um, with. Uh, but actually, Helena Sukovin and her brother—they they won a mixed doubles title together. He he went on and he won four majors. And this is interesting too. You can talk about uh, Peter Corder and his family today, but Cyril Suk, his uh, he has a son on the PGA tour. But that's one thing too. Is that I mean, talk about the geography. When you have a country that's so small, ten million people, that's another way to really get exposure. You know, here in the U.S. Um, coast to coast, 3000 miles. Um, yeah. don't you think that's a factor that the Czech players, they get to see the, the top pros practice and they're, they're among the top pros because of the, just how small the country is.
1: Yeah, I think that's also one reason the, yeah, also the distances, it's more concentrated. You have access to information. You see the, see the players, you meet them. You're yeah, right. I remember. I remember Helen Sigar, she was a top player. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She, uh, when I was I was, uh, when I was a what is a I was we were watching her on T V. Tsukova, Navracheva, Mandikova, and all those all the yeah, there was the ladies from dead dead generation. And it quarter. With, uh, I remember. You know the with- Yeah. Just just a quick you note. Know, my 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 tennis game when I was playing, you know, and I did I, I didn't really receive any 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 tennis teaching. We just went out and played. We we saw we saw how they did, and then we tried to copy them. And we saw Ivan Lendl, Boris Becker, uh, Stefan Edberg, Peter and they were all a one-handed backhands. So I played one-handed backhand today, and for one year ago I switched to two-handed. And now I'm trying to play like uh, like Djokovic, and I Lor Lorenzo. Lorenzo, look at my backhand. Is it like Djokovic now? Uh, he, he goes. He goes. Nice Jimmy Connors. He says.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, one thing talking to a talking to a hockey player, a two handed backhand. It's interesting that hockey players basically all hang on the stick the same way. Now, obviously, they have different skill sets, yeah. different competency levels. But your bottom hand is an eastern forehand, and your top hand is continental. And you know, you have your your. It's like your eastern forehand hand on the bottom is in a permanent position. Oh, you certainly can slide it up and down, but it's your top hand where you really maneuver the racket because you know when we teach young players with a two handed backhand to have the grip on the bottom hand, the right hand for a right hand or the the right side of number one because it's so important to close the racket face and and developing you know like a solid backhand volley but we we do know that the range of motion of the continental grip that the pros for the most part the bottom hand goes to continental, and I think that's something that's really sad in tennis is that we have to keep reminding people you are not a pro right now. You're a developmental player. It's like running around the backhand when you're a young kid. I mean, first get a backhand before you run around your backhand is that you, I, would tell, I don't know how many yeah. times I've told kids you will never have a backhand if you don't hit the backhand. Um, yeah, So Hingis, uh, you know, she, she grew up in Switzerland, but I mean, obviously her parents are Czech Uh, Belinda Benchik, Um, that's another story of, uh, um, and I believe, uh, I know her father was a hockey player, um, either from Czech or from uh, Slovak, Slovakia. Um, Let's talk about that. father. What's that?
1: Hingis' father.
0: No, I don't know about Hingis' father with hockey, but Belinda Benchik's father for sure was a pro hockey player. That's yeah. what, that's what, that's yeah. what he did in Switzerland when we first went there. Just like, just like you in Denmark.
1: Yeah.
0: With, um, with the, um, ice hockey, um, with people playing yeah. a number of different sports, um, I have down here, Mandelkova, uh, get myself in trouble here, but Mandelkova, um, Again, all these great Czech players. She was number three in the world. She, um, let's see, she was won two Australians, one French, one US Open. She was in the Wimbledon final twice. Um, her father was a world-class sprinter. Um, you know, I get myself in trouble. I say, yeah, well, I know some dads who take, you know, take one lap around the refrigerator and have to take a nap. Um, but again, just think about being part of other sports. Is that um, like say in Denmark where you live right now, or if uh, you go back to the Czech Republic? Are kids just playing one sport in Denmark, or are they playing multiple sports?
1: Yeah, um, that's, uh, that's a good question. You cannot be, you cannot, you cannot say it in general. There are there are some who maybe play uh, two sports. There are some who play one, and there are uh, unfortunately uh, a great amount of kids who uh, don't. Do anything, uh, but uh, my recommendation is: uh, as long as you can, as, as long as you have somebody to support you, have parents who can, uh, who will make it possible for you. Then, then, then play as many sports as you can. And uh, in in western part of Europe, Denmark, Czech, uh, it, it is possible. The distances are not that huge. Um, economically, uh, we live in, in the part of the world which uh, which is the richest, so we don't we don't worry about the uh, food on the table. Um, it, it, it's more. It's not. It's not a, really an issue in, in in our part of the world, luckily enough. So, so why not to uh, to support and, and make them to play? That's also my recommendation. I have a I have a I have a young player who's he's how what 10, ten years old. I think he's ten years old, and he's actually playing ice hockey. And now he's really starts for tennis. And I'm telling her mom. And telling him keep going. Or tennis will help you to improve your tennis, and tennis. And ice hockey will help you to improve your tennis, and tennis will help you to improve your ice hockey. So, as long as your mother will support you, then then go for both. And if if you have time, then, then run in your spare time or do something else. You know, Jump the, rope or something.
0: The Germans uh okay. re- the Germans have really improved in ice hockey, and what they did years ago, the the leaders mm-hmm. of the. Uh, German hockey federation is they went to Kindergarten's six-year-olds and they took, they picked out the kids who could jump the best and they recruit, they recruited them for, for ice hockey. Uh, one, one thing you just said, and we're, we're mentioning this all the time that our podcasts, hopefully people have a, a tennis treasure chest and they're looking for golden nuggets, but you said food on the table. There's a young boy that I've coached for some time and you know, the, a word that we use is he's Americanized and his mother's from Romania. And I remember her saying both my parents were teachers. We always had food on the table. Just, just that in itself. Uh, I mean, so many American kids today that are playing tennis and that's, that's something we're trying to do with a great is have tennis become more affordable. So it's not just quote unquote, just rich kids playing. But yeah, the, the food on the table, um, that level of appreciation. But it, coming back to multiple sports, tennis is so technical as well. You know, I think the 3,000 hour rule is take three years. Um, there's It's a Sparta club in Prague and the Spartak in Moscow. That, that was a rule of the Spartak club is 3,000 3, hours before you start to play. So, but that doesn't mean you know you can't you know be playing all these pickup sports I, I have two sons by the time they were 10 i would say they were on their way to mastering two sports um but then to continue the same lifestyle they had you know um when they were playing both ice hockey and tennis um but they're just around different creatures when they so when they started playing just more tennis um it's just around people with a, diff, a different mentality. Um, here's another uh, check. Peter Corda, Australian singles and doubles champion. He's number two in the world. Um, and everybody I think knows uh, the success of uh the family. The wife, Regina, she was 26. She's a check, 26 in the world. But uh this is a great story. The, I've just heard this. Um two daughters are on the PGA tour uh, Jessica and Nellie. So Nellie wins the gold medal. I'm not sure where the Olympics were in 2020 off the top of my head, but she calls home and, um, the parents are in bed and, you know, she wakes them up. So they yeah, just won the gold medal and, just, you know, he, she just got a, a very quiet, um, congratulations. I will talk to you about it tomorrow. Um, and, you know, they weren't up falling online; They were asleep when she, she won the gold medal. um, Talk a little bit about uh, the Czechs as far as uh, in general. I've, I've, I've researched it a little bit. You, you drink more beer than any any other country. Is that true?
1: Yeah, that's the statistics, yeah. But yeah. it went down a bit. It was, I think, one, 160 liters per, wasn't it? 30, 30, yeah. And, but now it's so 140. It, uh, it, it went down, but it's still... Well, the leading country, I think, is
0: yes. with uh, how about Slovakia though? I mean, there's what 10 million in your country, it's more city-fied, and Slovakia is more country-fied, it's five million people. Is there much of a difference, you think? Yeah. You know, I know you're supposed not supposed to categorize people, but is there much of a difference in, say, the Czech approach or the Slovakia approach to sport to life?
1: No, I don't think so. I think those, those two countries, you know, we have, we have the common history. And the split in 1993 was actually friendly and they there are strong connections still. And the, the way of living is, uh, is, uh, is similar. Of course, there's much agriculture in Slovakia. And um, and then the, the area of Bratislava is more industrialized. And, but, uh, but but there's not a huge difference, Slovakia and Czech. We also have all the, the languages are are almost similar. Um, so we have strong connections so even even though yeah, Roger about Roger here.
0: Roger Federer's wife is Slovakian um she immigrated to Switzerland and you know and I I've certainly like everybody read so much about Federer that she's the one with the work ethic and she was a world class tennis player had an ankle injury and I think she's 3 years older they met when they were both uh, in the Olympics representing Switzerland and that's where uh you know she uh you know got him to uh go to bed early, get off computer games and back when they were very, very young and, and work harder. Here's a golden nugget, another one with uh Sebastian Corda. And if you look at his technique, um I know he's improved his serve. His serve was not where it could have been a few years ago, but it's gotten better. Um he played hockey growing up. He played other sports, but hockey was his go-to sport at one point. And his parents, you know, they live at the former Nick Baltieri, now it's called IMG Tennis Academy, Bradenton, Florida. And um, teenage boy is the most unmanageable animal of the wall. So when he was, you know, say 13 years old and playing mostly hockey at that time. This is a story I was told that his parents had him play, but they only had him play girls at the academy. And so there was, you know, he's a pretty chill guy anyway. But I just think that, you know, we're, that composure, you know, it's amazing when you think of, you know, teenage boys playing each other. It's like, uh, this is going to go crazy. Um, but I think that's interesting.
1: Um, this this, this Corda family, it's an amazing story. Peter Corda and his wife and, 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 the, and the children and their success in sports. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, with... Um, Matt Clore, who's been a guest a couple of times on our podcast, who's spent a lot of years with us. Uh, you know, he had a chance to watch Peter Korda work with the young Sebastian Corda. He talked about it where they just, they hit service line to service line and just hit very slowly. And, and you know, fundamentals were very apparent. Here, here's another check that comes to my mind is, um, help, help me with their pronunciation, Radek Stepana Stepanek um he, yeah he was number eight in the world he won two majors in doubles but he was eight in the world but if people just went back and thought of you know when he played um you know he was you know one of the only ones who was playing all over the court that he was just a complete player could play all three zones he could play red zone yellow zone green zone and yeah. i think that's what um and i mispronounced your name what's this young girl's name Muko- muchova now Yeah. I mean, that girl's game overall is so solid. And, you know, and again, I don't think juniors really see that. I mean, I was watching yesterday, we had a small group and we were, you know, hats off to the finalists from the eighteens, the girls eighteens and the boys eighteens. You know, it's amazing what you can do. Uh, Colette Lewis has a, uh, a blog called zoo tennis and she follows junior tennis, college tennis. It's a great service she provides. And it was just short clips of the finalists from the 18s and singles and the finalists, girls and boys. So two finals. And, you know, we're watching these all four play and it's like, well, okay, they look very uh, athletic, you know, say, okay, they are, they could be small, but it's okay. The physical specimen, they can move. They're great movers, the mobility. And then the competitiveness, you can see that, but um, with the four players, and again, it was just, um, just short videos, maybe five minutes each. And, you know, you, you're not seeing any volleys, you're not seeing any approach shots. You're just seeing forehands and more forehands, people running around forehands, you know, the two-handed backhand, yeah. but they're, they're avo- avoiding that. But I think Stepanek, uh, I see his game when uh, I think it's Mukova playing, um, you know, like say in our country, Coco K- Goff's a great player. Um but you know systematically, I mean her forehand her her game compared to McCkova's I mean they're both top ten players, but um it just i just you know thinking about um sebastian corda you know you know do the Czechs take a slow- is it a slower process is it um you know that connection of seeing tennis down the road i mean you know why is it these czech players um you know, and it's not straight across the board. What's the name of the young girl who won Wimbledon this um, the year before last? I think she's Czech, lefty. Um, yeah, le- yeah. What is her name? Yeah. So, i mean? But, come up. But, 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 go ahead.
1: I completely agree with the analysis of uh, of Mukhova. And I, uh, after you have mentioned it, I will go and study Štěpánics play. I will find some videos on uh, how Štěpánics did do I don't. See, I can. I can't see it for myself uh, because he stopped uh, a couple of years ago. At Mukhova, when I saw Mukhova playing, then I was thinking of Yusi, because she she the, the, the play the, the play was complete. She was attacking the net. She was uh, actually approaching the net with uh, Martina and Abraci. She approach, uh, serving well, uh, and you know, stop balls everything
0: was in in her game i was so happy to see it tom Tom, Tom, tomas we should have the name of the uh the wimbledon champion from two years ago lefty um but i would say you know not as i don't like the word classical i like refer the word efficient um much better tomas he was number 11 in singles didn't win majors, but he was number one in doubles. He was somebody also who played all over the court. Um, here's another player, think um, he always has to be mentioned with great checks, is Tomas Burdich. The guy was like a walking statue. He's four in the world. Won the Davis Cup twice, the Ottman Cup. Um, he semi um all the majors, Then he reached the Wimbledon final. So he semi Australia, semi would the US Open. You know, he had, what what a physical specimen. He had some problems with his serve, his problems with his overhead. You know, if people go back and look at it, he he had regressed palm up. uh, As great as he was. And, you know, the margins are so close. I mean, he was so close to, say, you know, winning the Wimbledon title. Uh, Here's a a check. It was a great, great serve. The two twins. uh, Karolina Pliskova. Pliskova, yes. Yeah, she's someone who's uh, final US Open, final Wimbledon, some of the French, some of the Australian. She's been number one, big, big serve, but she doesn't, have, she didn't gather the, the all court game of say a Lova, uh, you know, coming in behind it. Um, her, her sister, I mean, again, the tr- tradition, the success of Czech tennis, her sister was, you know, 35 in the world, which is obviously a great tennis player. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, it's just, it's
0: just with um, one last check I have in my notes is a Wimbledon champion, the number two, the lefty. Um, uh, Kitvika, how do you pronounce her name? Petra, she won Wimbledon it's twice, yeah, won Wimbledon in 2011 2012. Um, she was in the finals, of Australia, French semis, twice, US Open quarters you know, and all, you know I haven't mentioned that but like so, so many of these great checks that they, they've done well in the Olympics she has she's a medalist but she won the fed Cup the the, the Hopman cup uh but she's a player that uh can go forward you know that granted she has a great serve but um the uh yeah I would just think that there is it it's probably more humble its probably more wholesome uh, that's a word that you hear when you uh hear people talk about Czech people as humility. Would your comment on that?
1: Yeah. Easy. I will come back. Vondroshova. Her name is Vondroušova. I'll
0: go. Thank you. Yeah. You crossing, that would be an insult not to, uh, not to, not um, to, you know, have her name on the tip of your tongue with, um, Tell me about 60, 1968, Yager He was, wore that number because the, the Russians invaded Prague. Um, and the listeners should uh, look, yeah, take, take a minute, and look up Yager. I mean, talk about somebody who played hockey forever and arguably the best European ever to play hockey in North America. Um, now you have certainly, uh, you know, say Ovechkin. There's, there's so many others, but he's, he's way up there. He's, um, big time hockey. Player. You say he's very good at tennis. No,
1: I, I was so lucky. Yager is uh, the same age as I am, so I went to school actually with him. Um, so I I see for myself where he was sitting in the class, uh, Jeremy Agui. And uh, of course, tennis. We played tennis, and he was uh, yeah, he was strong, big, and he could hit the ball. And I still remember his backhand. Him, two-handed backhand, actually. It was really, really, really good, and he also, yeah. As I, as I told you, have we practiced? Have uh, we practiced tennis as a part of the hockey training in the summer? Then, then the was joining. Um, about Yagi, he was when he was fifteen. He played already with as the as professional team, as the best team in the in the league, and he uh he was drafted and and moved to NHL and, and started his incredible career. But um but Jeremy actually listened to the saying, Legs feed the wolf. He didn't tell us. But after after the practice was over, he we didn't see him anymore. We could we didn't see We thought that he went home. Yagar was gone. And the others, you know the young young boys, we went out, we went to the city, had fun, a couple of beers, fried fried cheese, potatoes, had fun. But Jagger wasn't journey. Where was Jagu? He, he was he was at home uh, doing extra training. And that's why that's why I mean legs were so strong and so fast and they couldn't they when he when he was in a position of the puck, they couldn't take it for him. And even 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 when he was 50 years they they still couldn't take the puck away from him. You know, it's an amazing story. But we, Lex be the wolf, that's yeah. the truth. In in, in 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 so many sports.
0: No, for sure. With with Yager, uh the number of squats that he would do per day was just legendary. It's so like um Roy Emerson, you know, from the time he was a little kid, he would do three hundred kangaroo jumps a day. We tell kids minimum skip rope, 12 minutes, three minutes on, and you can do some abs for a minute, another three minute round, another three minute round. So you're always skipping rope nine minutes. You can just tell when you put your hand on a kid's shoulder that yeah, he hasn't been skipping rope. So it's not just for the, just for the legs. Uh, But no, for sure. Putting all the extras in actually for the listeners. uh, After you've been in this country for a while playing pro hockey, uh, his contract but he had written in his contract that he had to have a key to the rink and have access to a hockey rink 24 hours a day so these big NHL hockey rinks hockey teams they have their own practice facilities and now that it was not unusual for him to uh you know he'd be coming home from his own private practice you know past midnight and his teammates were coming in from the bar and yeah it's the legs feed the wolf, but I I like the expression miles on the legs. I'll tell that to parents of young children. I said, no, you, your kid's doing well technically, but there's no miles on the legs. They, what do you mean? I said, there's no miles on the legs. You know, they just haven't run. And if you don't like to run, run. If you don't like to run, run some more. We tell, we tease, say, well, if you don't like to run, play golf. And, um, with, uh, um, let's switch back to Denmark for a minute. What about uh, Wozniacki? I have some comments on her, but then this other young kid, Rune, what, what comes to your mind with those two players? Um,
1: Carolina Wozniacki how are the Rune. Yeah, Wozniacki is, uh, after three years uh, of mater- maternity issues, uh, during her comeback. It would be, be interesting to see how she were doing uh, in the Australian Open in January. Yeah, I hope that she will she will do well for, for the Danish tennis and Holger Rune, the new, new upcoming star. Oh, these are the these are the yeah, the, the biggest tennis stars
0: um,
1: right now. Uh, names Holger Rune, it's amazing, top ten player, young young man. Now actually having Boris Becker as a coach. Uh, Let let's see. Um, I hope for the Danish tennis that uh, that, that these names can. Uh, get some more people to play it to play the game because tennis is not a, a, you know, it's not the biggest sport in Denmark. You have handball, you have badminton, uh, soccer, of course. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the biggest sport. Tennis, tennis exists, but um, we we don't have that many uh, that many kids joining our practices. We it's, we we would we, would, we would definitely need uh, some some more players and also also the. Environment is taking is taking and, and players away from us. You 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 mentioning pickleball, United States, uh, and in in Europe it is uh, pedal or what we call it. It's not first called paddle tennis, but pedal. Yeah, um, a lot of people playing it, and and I and we can we can feel it. They they don't they, they don't play tennis anymore. They go to peddle instead. Um, so it, it is it is a battle, but uh, we are really fighting and. Us who loves the game, we will we will fight until we die. But, uh, I don't I don't think it's enough, but definitely. was Naki Runa. I hope that they will really start some 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 tennis uh, revolution and and more people will will come and join. Of course, uh, the tennis is more exposed on TV now because of the whole Definitely, we can uh, now 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 we can see tournaments and the the, the the national national team the. Um, TV TV stations—they are showing tennis. They are showing uh, US Open and the biggest tournaments. And, and on, on 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 the on the news, the you can you can see more tennis uh,
0: information.
1: I, 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 this, this will help. This will this will definitely expose the sport. So I am really positive right now.
0: Yeah, it's interesting uh, uh, it with uh, Boris Becker working with Holger Roon Now I know that. You know, Patrick has supported his tennis for a long time, just from a million miles away. But my perspective would be with Holger Ruin that he uh, he just has a what you really need. Number one is the inner belief system. Number two, an amazing work ethic, and his, his technical base actually has improved. You know, when people are taking the ball early and they're being really aggressive, you know, they're they're going to tend to have a tendency to the ball the, the ball from the other side. I mean, their opponents. Balls coming deeper, it's coming faster. The frequency, the consistency. So the swings become shorter and what have you. But Wozniaki, her story: Polish immigrant, dad, um, soccer player, and you know she had the older the older brother and the dad are hitting tennis balls, and she just spent endless hours on the the backboard. And she's a runner. I mean, she certainly yep. you know, she became number one in the world. she never really perfected the serve. And, but the fact that she just comes back, I think people listening, she can keep the ball in play. I mean, if you can run and you can hit the ball deep, center the ball, it's amazing how, how far you can go. I, I do think one, you know, the great base is, you know, to, to, I think one should always try to be their own best um, critic. And, you know, we tell someone that we've worked with, I mean, first impressions are everlasting. So, say, okay, uh, like just this morning, a Canadian gal, I said, okay, um, or we're doing this just shadow swing on the baseline. And of course they stand still because when they first come to us, we do static balance. It's like, no move. You have the whole, whole baseline to yourself 195 times across that baseline is a mile. Um, man, Lakova, who I mentioned at Czech, um, she was very, very good technically, but I, one time I was just, uh, a tag along, but I was with Vic Braden and we went into a room with uh, a gentleman by the name of Gildy Kermadek. who was a French cinema photographer. You know Betty Stovall was a great player. She was coaching Manlico at the time, and you know just in the analysis, even though they had the high speed film uh, you know you know Vic was just being polite. I didn't have a speaking part, but when we left the room, so the the people in the room really didn't understand exactly um the the angles of rackethead based on the grip. the expression of the grip determines the angle of the racket head um with Let's come back to the system of um, club tennis in Europe. I love how you have your notes here. You know, why do players love to participate? And you've got down, they feel part of a team. And that makes the social aspect more important. Um, is that true? Yeah. Is that true? Uh, you think throughout um, Central Northern Europe? I mean, is the, the Danish system, do they have the same team concept as they have in the Czech Republic?
1: the yeah, kind of, but I, I would more compare it to to little Germany, you know, in Germany, uh, there's a the team and club system and playing, playing team matches, playing team matches. Uh, we, in Denmark, we have actually a pretty good uh, club system. We have clubs, uh, where you can come and you can sign up and you can, uh, receive the tennis education, or play, play, play matches. And the clubs, they compete, uh, yeah, you know the system from Germany, so it works in the same way in Denmark. It's in the I'm not the, the scale is not that large, in Germany, but still, the Denmark, a small country, it's it's working. But what 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 is important for me to say here to mention is that if we tennis people, tennis coaches want to help tennis, then we and I really believe in this, what I'm saying now, need to implement aspects from a team sport into tennis somehow. And and I'm aware that you stand alone on the tennis court and it is an individual sport. But the practice, traveling, tournaments, helping, coaching, training can be done as a club. And those clubs who who are doing this, to some extent, they they will have a success. They will have more people joining because we are social social beings, we love to be part of the group, and uh, I see it. I see I see young players who actually doesn't like to compete in the tournament. It is something they need to uh, for. You need to force them, or they need to force themselves to do it. But as soon as it is a team match, then they lo- they love it. They love to meet with each other, talk to them, travel with them. Play the game, of course. You play the game uh, on your own. The the same tennis match. Uh, it will still be tennis match. Always it will be tennis match. You are you are there on your own and you play, but uh, you play for the team. There's something different. They feel it, and uh, so let's 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 have more of it. Let's organize. Let's support it. Uh, let's play more matches in that manner. I think that's the way if we can do something uh, about tennis. And I know the system in the I mean, United States is, is different. You don't have it uh, in the same manner, but we, here in Europe, we have it. We have we need to protect it. We need to develop it because that's the way, that's the way how you help the sport. I'm sure about it. And that's,
0: yeah, I also, think I have the
1: knowledge I, from Izoki. Uh, yeah, us who who tries to play team sport. isoki as an example. It could be something, it could be basketball. You are in the group and you have some great experience with the sport you don't have you don't have it in the same in, in the same by tennis so we club managers coaches we need to think how can we how can we support it how can we bring some elements into it incentives into i'm sure it'll work let's do it
0: yeah no it's more powerful than you know that yeah, we got to get the grips right you know coming back to um, you know the within a range of correctness Um with we do in this country have college tennis, which is really special where a kid can continue their studies. Yeah. One thing I, I see a little bit of light where there's now these money tournaments, the UTR money tournaments. They're not a team though. And then there needs to be improved where they do at least have doubles and there's more control on what the entry fees are. But we, cause we have kids get to be, you know, 21, 22, they come out of college and they start just banging golf balls because, and even worse yet, they're playing pickleball. We have to find an avenue for, so the very good players are not quite good enough, serious enough to uh, pursue pro tennis. Uh, You know, hats off to Billie Jean King. She's, She's preached that for a long time and she's still hanging in there with world team tennis. I mean, it would be amazing in this country if each major city had you know, if there was a major league for tennis, um, but that's, that's not the case. Um, is it in, in Denmark and Czech? uh, I know in Germany where there's more money, two Auslanders, you can have two foreigners per team. Is that true in Denmark as well?
1: Well, I don't, I've never heard that there's, there's some limitation on that. Yeah. I don't think there is a limitation. I was saying this year in our for example, we have a, we have a Czech player, Martin, his name is Martin, and he uh, he is studying Erasmus at the university. He's actually studying artificial intelligence. He's a smart boy at the university, and he comes from Czech when he plays tennis uh, on a really, really good level. So he's joining our team. Right away, first single, he's the, the best player on the team, Lawrence number two, and he has, uh, <laughs> you know, he strengthened the team. And if you get a, if you get a player like that on a team, then all the way through the chains, you are stronger. The second team is stronger, third team is stronger. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really really good to have him on a team. And now we talk about Czech Republic and he's from Czech Republic actually. That's yeah, well, buddy. Now, the, the uh, way... evil, evil, evil. Go ahead. What did you say?
0: No, I said, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: All right. I'm just saying that the end this, if, if if anybody out there listening, please come to Orange and play for us. You can study at the university; we will take care of you, help us. But uh, Martin is an example of a young Czech player who learned uh, who learned uh, the sport in, in in Czech and and on a, a really high level. And uh, he's not; I don't think his plans out to be a professional. He's really focusing on his study and, and about about re, uh, retaining his uh, tennis skills and practicing with us and playing matches for us and. He has won all the matches so far, so hopefully with him on a team, we will actually, and maybe fight for the for the elite league in Denmark. So cross cross fingers for us.
0: Yeah. It's in Germany where, um, the Bundesliga, Reginaldi, whatever the names of the leagues are, um, Bundesliga is first and foremost, but, and they get, you know, world-class players. Uh, and there is more money, but th- for the years, it's been two outlanders. Maybe that rules change. But in the French system, we talked about that in a previous podcast, with A young man from Lithuania who um, spent two years at Patrick's Academy. With the French system, it's very interesting. There's a lot of player, great players or in the years gone by that were from Argentina, another great tennis country, and then from the Czech Republic, and you know, they, here's another expression: money is the root of all evil. You know, another another one is, where does the money go? You know, follow follow the money. But a lot of American kids, we're a very affluent country. A lot of American kids, you know, they'll find a wealthy uncle, and you know, they're 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 really in the wrong place playing the wrong events. And they would be it would have been much better off to try to find a way to, you know, go to France and play amateur tennis for another. Set of months, another summer season versus, uh, you know, their uncle paying their tab to go from one city to the next and try to they're trying to pursue ATP points where they're n- they're not at that level, um, with um, with their tennis game. But, but go ahead.
1: just to, just to come back on this on this on this, uh, on this uh, part of the team and is it social aspect important? Yes, it is uh, important if you can somehow we can we can turn tennis into a team sport and not i don't think we can be standing five or not when, when we are playing match it will still be a tennis match you there alone but the circumstances surrounding uh, let's help uh, let's help it let's help it uh, it's needed um,
0: well no that's great okay. other, other ways to help tennis a team sport but also where it's not so expensive you know kids should be able to practice with one another it's almost like a conspiracy a conspiracy i know that some facilities and you know there's there's always two sides to the story but i mean i don't really like the rule where you know if you're a member you can't go on the court with a basket of balls um you, know, you want to make sure that the baskets aren't interfering with doubles play on the next court um but it shouldn't be i, I tease kids uh but how's it goes um you're really not teasing. They think you're trying to be funny, but um, the definition of comedy is tragedy with time. Is kids don't practice with one another, and you know we have kids visit, and we say, okay, if you go over there and feed balls, they're a right hander, and they don't even know that they need they put they need to put their left hip by the basket so they can feed balls. So they grab a, they grab one ball, walk away from the basket, grab another ball, walk away, and and the, you know those are the the teasing is uh, you will not be a, a good player. The only time you're on a tennis court, you're with a paid professional. Um, that comes back to the Yager going home and you know doing the body squats. Is um, you know I heard Austin Krychek say uh, on a podcast his dad asked me to listen to was in you know, one of his favorite quotes is champions are made when no one's watching. Um, the uh, the 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 women right like now are doing place. better than the men. Talk to us a little bit about the men and. Uh, Czech Republic, what's the future for their tennis? You obviously are following the Czechs.
1: Yeah, the other day, the other day I saw the Davis Cup, Davis Cup, Lahedka uh, playing fantastic. But I, just, I, I don't know, the, I don't know the men's tennis in, in details. I don't know they I know. I, I just, I heard the, the Davis Cup captain describing the Czech uh, Davis Cup team as a potential team because of the day age. At their age, but there are some uh, some young Czech players on the way. We, we don't have that many as we have uh, on, on the women's side, but they they are there, uh, and and that's positive because the the men's men's side was struggling the last couple of couple of years. The girls were there, but the men were missing. But I, hopefully, they are on the on the way now. Uh, the Czech tennis needs the men too, yeah. I hope, I hope so. But I. Uh, i don't have the, d- the details over the of, of them right now yeah.
0: well it, usually the way it works um you know the, the the players pull each other along like right now you know the Americans with uh taylor fritz and Francis t f o and tommy paul uh, you know you can imagine a few others but they're 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 pulling each other along um And, you know, and they're climbing the ranks. Uh, You know, the question, would they win a major? Well, you know, if they could patch up a few holes in their game. uh, To to win a major, you really have to be complete. I think this uh, uh, young Alcarez, uh, from a technical standpoint, I mean, center is another player. um, Just, uh, you know, what he's doing with, uh, you know, ball striking. Um, but Alcaraz is something that just comes to my mind, he's so complete playing all over the tennis court. Um, let me let me come back to uh, you know, you mentioned experience and I appreciate you saying, well, it takes so many years. Um, you know, the, you want you know, you think, okay, if you work the 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 systems that we put together, you know, with experience, you know, ten years time, you'll be a much better coach. But don't you think whether someone's working as a is there a hobby coach, a volunteer or a part time coach? Um, if people get a handle on the the great bays coming back to helping tennis, um, I mean the, the core information, um, you know, obviously you're not pointing fingers at anybody, but don't you think overall, if you go from one tennis club to the next in Denmark uh, or anywhere in the world, that there's not that good a handle on core information. All
1: right. It's So, 200% agree, Steve, and great based tennis education. It opened my eyes so much, um, and I'm I'm a student of the game, and I'm just starting starting to uh, to absorb the information and starting to implement it. And, and I'm not I'm not done, you know. It, you need you need the uh, at least ten years on the course teaching. But but now I'm able to explain information I'm I'm able to explain why. Why do I want you to swing the racket like this? Why? What is the mechanics behind it? Why is the shoulder working like it is? Because we are human beings. So for so the information you have you have gathered this amazing job. Great base. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That is amazing job we have done. Um and Steve Smith um how you how you were able to to travel to with your open eyes uh, search the information and talk to the to the coaches and were able to join them and later on to gather all their findings and learnings into into uh, into one curriculum great base that, that that's a the fantastic story Steve I you you deserve a place in the in the in the tennis uh, hall of fame one day and how I hope you will be there because wow. this is amazing. Great job. And, uh, uh,
0: thank you. I do. I do and, and I've said this recently. I do think that uh, the curriculum itself, if we can, uh, the word united is we can work together for the growth of the game, but uh, certainly the, the system, uh, our eight pillars, um, three are in the hall of fame. The other five I think should be with um, our course, tennis intelligence applied. We, we mentioned over a uh, hundred coaches. You know, so the great base is it's not a closed study. It's it's open and it's like, okay, we we have to find ways to improve. And on these podcasts, and for our listeners, uh Thomas, you need to get a medal, you've listened to all of them. Um, uh, i say it quite often that Dave Anderson, the theme is to go back to the future, is people should be able to play a one-handed undersprint backhand approach. At. They should be able to uh serve in volley, they should be able to play all over the tennis court. We shouldn't be producing one dimensional players. And, you know, we should be knowledgeable enough to have people use their larger body parts. Um, with, but I, and in this country, uh, yeah, tennis, uh, I mean, we're being invaded by pickleball. And I've said on many of these podcasts, that what we need to do is approach pickleball and say, okay, the best tennis players right now are the best pickleball players, is that you need to be, know concerned about prevention of injury use your larger body parts um but it's what i would say it's instant gratification you know pickleball players they don't practice you you don't see i mean very very seldom obviously the very elite players and most of them are former tennis players you don't see them practice pickleball players they just play and you know we do have to work together um I think in this country, there's too much self-promotion and, you know, there's people out at tournaments, I'll uh, just repeating myself, but the merchants of flesh where they're handing out business cards and saying, let's, you know, take beginners. I think that's another thing too, about tennis in Europe is when a kid goes to their club, they go to their club. You know, they It's not like they're going to shop and bop to go to another tennis club. Is that true in Denmark that most of the members are loyal to the club?
1: Uh, you can say that, but we we also have uh, examples of, of the of the shop and bob as you call it, uh attitude, which you just only think of yourself and right trying to find the best circumstances for your kids for yourself. But uh, but that's that's how we, we how we are as a humans, but but uh, I I agree that the club culture is we need to we need to we need to protect the club culture and there's a positive and good thing about it also.
0: I do think and we when got, go ahead, yeah. Club culture, go ahead. Yeah,
1: there's this common under, under tennis, tennis under attack from pickleball, from pedal. And um, and why is that? Well, if you look at our society today, everything must go fast, with uh, as easy as possible. We have a good time, we have phones, we swipe. It goes quickly, information quickly. Nobody reads books because it takes time, it takes long time, you need to pages, it's boring. It, isn't it like, in, it, to learn tennis too, to learn tennis, and it is complex for it is difficult to learn. You need to uh, use hours on it. You will not learn it from one day to another. and if it's putting effort into something it, 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 it's going away am I'm, I'm telling them you will come back because you will find out that the pedal and this ball it, it, it's actually boring and I have, I have I have met two men who came back to our club and said, you know one day I just stood in the in the pedal center. And I was thinking, what am I doing here? This is not funny. Tennis is much more funny. And they came back and they play tennis with us. So, so there is a hope. And uh, let's let's do a really good job uh, on the tennis court, and people will come back. And Great based Tennis Education is helping us so much to explain, or to teach, how to teach and how to play. And I I also want to mention, uh, you know, fr- Friday, Friday evening in Denmark, that's the time where people are home. They are having party they, there's this there's a special word um, in, 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 in Danish language uh, which means something cozy time so, so Friday evening is a cozy time so you don't we don't really do sport you don't play tennis in cozy time but in our club we have opened we have opened from, uh, from uh, five o'clock to, to seven o'clock in the pm uh, for anybody who wants to join a tennis game come and play and last last uh, Friday we were fourteen players. Different ages, juniors, seniors, uh, the, the top elite players were joining too. And we we play together. Of course, that, uh, we adjust, the, the level will be adjusted in itself when we play against each other and you move up and you move down. So when you play for 10 minutes, then you have the, the best players on one side of the court. And I know that you, you use these methods also in, in, in your practice, but it's working. And we, we are all having fun. And the juniors, they are so excited about playing against the best players. And the best players are not getting worse because of they play 10 minutes with the, with the junior. They actually have fun too. So that's the way to do it. And uh, I hope that we will really start something something big in, in, in our club because it is, it is doable. Uh,
0: no, that's not, I, I love yeah. it so much. No, you just have to create the momentum. I've heard it said that if, yeah. if everybody once a week would play with someone who has inferior skills, play with a lesser player, then there'd be so much tennis played. I'm coming back to Holger Ruin. I do think that, um, I'm just pronouncing his name as well, but with, I think a lot of young players are intimidated by a success story like that, and we always say, "Well, there's a teenage sensation," but then there's a late bloomer. Uh, tennis is a lifetime sport. You know, say for example, a, a teenager, um, they're seventeen years old, and you know. It's, Seven years goes by, which is a long period of time in one sense. You can gain so much momentum with your skill set in seven years. The Jesuits are always saying from an educational standpoint, just give us the first seven years. But I think a lot of times people write themselves off now because of the fast tracking, because of the microwave mentality. Of, we've got to be good. And we've got to be good now. That instant success is the passion, the stick to that people just stay with the sport. Um, I think that's something where, let's say for someone from a smaller country like Denmark, um, or even here in the US, if someone is from you know, the outback of tennis in our country it would be a place like say Mississippi or Arkansas, um, just a rural setting. But tennis players come from everywhere, but you just have to hang in there there's so many great stories. I mean, one of the best stories, I don't know if he's a uh, Slovakian or, or Czech, but, uh, Chara, the the big defenseman who just recently retired. Uh, uh,
1: he's from, he's from um, Slovakia. Yeah.
0: yeah so I mean, he, he, he was told to, uh, take a basketball. He was a sea hockey player and he's just like, the stories are there. He's just like Jager. Um, and, and it's all, all the same in every sport. Um, Mia Hamm is where the soccer player, that's where the story champions are made when no one's watching comes from in, in this country. Um, but to have fun with the work, I think also too, what you're saying is that another point to nail home is, you know, people don't do be, need to be snobs at the, progr- the program. The program you have on Friday night that everybody can play with everybody. Um, and what we do with the great base is get to the point where really everybody can teach everybody. You know, you, you don't need to, in this country, it seems like every Tom, Dick and Harry now is charging $100 an hour for a lesson. And $100, I mean, I know there's inflation and $100 is not as much money as it was 10, 20 years ago, but it's still, um, it makes the number smaller when the sport's that expensive.
1: Yeah. I mean, Exactly. How how can we make it cheaper, accessible? And that you are showing the way, you are showing the way. I, I'm... I was so happy when I saw those you know, those videos when, when you post, and there's a, there's a little boy teaching an adult how to hit forehand and backhand. Of course, because he's got the knowledge and uh, we can we can learn from each other and it's working. We can play with each other. Uh, it doesn't matter how, how tall you are, it's about how how well you can hit the ball. And uh, we have so much fun when we do it in, in that matter. So yeah,
0: is, Joel Trucker told the story. And... That we should focus on. Joel Trucker mentioned, you know, the ball doesn't know how old you are, but yeah, show and tell. Can you just, can you simply show how to hit a basic forehand? Um, And yeah, I think overall here in this country, we're growing so far away from, from basics and, you know, in any form of education that, that expression, you know, I spoke to Richard Hernandez today for a minute. He's the one who, um said to me years ago, years and years ago, tennis needs a great base initiative. And then we have the comment, like, who can argue with having a great base? And, um, but you know, people, I ideally need to have a, a, you know, how's it go no substitute for a good beginning. Um, but no, I really enjoyed talking to you. I I know that, uh, our, our podcast with Mark Costello, he talked about being in Prague and being at a hockey game, uh, between the Czechs and the Russians, and um, you know, then through uh, you communicated with me, found out your interest in both hockey and tennis. And uh, I hope for our listeners, we've uh, we've touched upon uh, the success of um, Czech tennis. I do think that it was alive during the Soviet regime. Um, I think going back to Drobny, to Kodish, the they had champions. But like what you're saying about the club system. I think of the togetherness and, uh, you know, humble people that, uh, can play sport in their backyard. Um, I think that's where here in this country, so many young 12 year olds are flying all over the country to play, you know, and they don't need to, um, they can play anybody, everybody. When you're an 11 year old kid, you know, you can go out and play like Wayne Bryan, the father of the twins. Um, you know, you know, when you walk around the block, who, you know, how many people in walking distance can you play? How many people when you get on your bicycle can you play? How many times while you get, get in the back of your mother's station wagon, how many how many miles do you have to go up where you can find more people to play? And and that's really the the true meaning of sport is participation. Um, but why don't you give us a closing comment? And we'll wrap it up, Tomas. How
1: yeah, about Thanks for uh, inviting me, and uh, I also am really happy that you you have a focus on the on the importance of tennis history. You emphasize it so much that it's important to know the history of the sport if you if you are in the in the business, um, and uh, it's helping so much. And uh, but the young people they don't do it; we need to help them. Uh, and I mentioned in the beginning your your story, the student of the game. How you learn from from the, from the big coaches? How you get the, their, their works into one uh, great base curriculum that's amazing and and also we are focused on building character It's not about just hitting the ball but be being a complete uh, complete person character are you strong enough are you really able to to be on the ground that uh, that 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 that's what you can we uh, are really good at and we uh, can learn so much uh, from uh, your work
0: well no and, i appreciate uh, it and uh, it, certainly we need to uh we're trying to do that. As, uh, you know, Not that we need to have more content. I think we have to have clear, the clarity, um, but then constant. Because actually, the late Vic Braden said so many years ago, that with the internet, so much bad information is going out so fast. And the consumer is confused. I mean, really, that's, I think, where tennis goes in circles, is that the consumer is blindly writing checks because they don't have consumer knowledge. And then the pro... Unfortunately, too many times the pro doesn't have product knowledge. If they had product knowledge, it's like Vic would say, um, you know, if the, you can teach the kid who buys the ice cream cone and they put it in the middle of their forehead. You, you can teach. And, you know, that Vic used to also say, is you measure a program by how the, you know, I hate to say the worst kid, but the kid who's um, another Bradenism is I mean, going to go to the water fountain and the water's going to hit, they can't make the water hit their lips. As If you can teach that kid to play. Um, but yeah, I think that's where we, you know, the wealth, the wealth and the growth of the game, um, the we, we, um, have to keep fighting the good fight. People do ask me, I tease, they say, what do you do for a living? I say, I fight ignorance every day. And the, in the myths, I mean, Braden was a myth, uh, uh, you know, he just, just the bonkers, uh, the, the myths over and over again, that's not a myth, um they're they're alive and well you know come over the ball come under the ball toss high scratch your back stay down and i have been told that these podcasts is we need to circle back because we did more of that in the beginning of these podcasts um with uh you know debunk, you know that, that is, that's not a truism you know to, to bring more uh fact-based tennis out to the out to the uh, eyes of the, the people playing the game Like this, it? Yeah. yeah but and, uh, we'll Steve, I hope that, go ahead I,
1: I really hope that one day I will meet you in uh, in person and we and uh you will have time to tell me uh more stories from uh you know and all those other coaches, and
0: no, we and can do it, you, you know maybe may a trip here to the u s you can join us up in the beautiful mountains of uh Virginia or vice
1: mean, what's that? When will you come to Denmark next time?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I need to come to Europe uh, with, um, you know, we need to regroup here and, and find better ways to uh, really get the word out. That's what we're trying to do. So I, I would um, definitely entertain the idea of spending more time in Europe. It's been a while since I've been over there. But all the best to you and your family, uh, Lorenzo, and all the students. Um, but let's stay in touch okay. and uh, no, thanks for your time on the podcast and t- talking about uh, what a, so many different what points.
1: What a pleasure. Mister Smith, Thank you for having
0: me. Oh, you're more than welcome. All the best. All right, Tomas. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right, listeners. Thank you very much. For sitting on listening to another podcast. I know Yvonne, the man behind the scenes who makes it happen will help with the, um, the sound. I was teasing Tomas. Uh, next time we do it, I'll speak Czech, but no, his English is very, very good. I just, uh, I know Ivan uh, will help us with the sound. Um, I think at times it went in and out and, uh, you need to be a little bit louder. Check tennis, multiple sports. I mean, there's just so many points. We are, uh, getting closer to, um, having show notes uh, made for all our podcasts the ones that are even going way back to we're at 177, but then also too, to just take some excerpts from these podcasts and, and then uh, put them on Instagram. I'm flattered that people tell us that we're, uh, we're, we're rich in content. You know, the content in a lot of ways is not our content. We're sharing uh, information, ideas, and insights from the past. Uh, but we, we know if, First and foremost, that we need to do a much better job reaching more people, brevity, clarity. And I uh, should have said this in the beginning of the podcast. It's always good to start with a thank you, but thank you for those people that are helping us uh, with our nonprofit and making donations. And again, thanks to Tomas. Thank you for listening. Another podcast in the books. Adios, amigos.